0: The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days. But that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. our media's either incompetent or malevolent they don't believe in heaven but they acting like they haven't sent knowing the truth is way harder than telling it we gotta work harder gotta be more intelligent sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit we're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants be the, the elephant in the room, room in a room full, full of elephants of boom. boom welcome back to the right opinion right here on the right opinion and iTunes, and Google Play, and Stitcher, and, more importantly than those bigger names, it's HackerHameen.Podbean.com and RatsaladReview.com, those two platforms, having the temerity, the gumption, the testicular fortitude to carry this fine podcast, and we thank them for it. Check them out uh, at, you know, pretty much as I said them, but nevertheless, HackerHameen.Podbean.com and Rat. SaladReview.com, shoutouts to Wayne Noon and the Ayatollah, Bin Amin, yes, and uh, we will uh, be talking about a lot this week here on The Right Opinion, but before I get into all of that, let me plug some of my stuff. Uh You can obviously check out the t-shirt store in the show notes, uh, it's a tea public store, it's got about four logos up there, one of which is just the show logo, so if you wanted to just rep The Right Opinion, you can do that, I got a couple orders recently on my Make America Great again, again, shirts, which is going to be great because we are making America great again, again, as we head into November 2020. But more importantly, as we are rolling out of this whole COVID-19 stuff, things are starting to open up. And for that matter, I'm actually getting some time to talk about other things. So we are not talking about COVID-19. This will be the last in all likelihood that I mention it other than awkward situations where I'm talking about the state of the world but I don't I don't even think I need to get into that all that much we're talking about heroes and we're talking about zeros now obviously we all know not all heroes wear capes and before I get into some of my more light-hearted hero commentary here I do want to give a more sincere you know props I guess more sincere dap to all of our heroes that are out there right now first and foremost obviously the men and women of our military, and then obviously our law enforcement, our firefighters, our ambulatory workers, you know, EMS, all that sort of stuff, and then more broadly, the medical workers, the the nurses, the doctors, the people in healthcare administration, people who work at grocery stores, people who are truckers, people who are working in pet stores, people who are working anybody that was... You know, we'll get into it one way or another, probably somewhere down the line. But everyone who was deemed essential went to work and kept everybody afloat. God bless you all, um, really, from the from the bottom of my heart and hopefully on behalf of most Americans. Like, really, thank you guys for keeping it all together for us. Um, it, it's, you know, th- those are the heroes of the day. But I wanted to break down some more specific heroes because there's a lot of really cool shit going on outside of the world of COVID-19. And I'd like to dive right into it. So that's the end of COVID talk. Let's roll in to our first hero of the week, our new press secretary, Kaylee McEnany. And yes, as we know, uh, according to our president and, and just basic logic and reason, the fake news is the enemy of the people. And they are. They are the enemy of the people. It is their job as the fourth estate, as it's often referred to, to keep the government in check But what they've done over the last several years is above and beyond that. And coming off the heels of eight years where they basically fell asleep at the wheel and still to this day, weirdly enough, proclaim that that administration was scandal-free. It was scandal-free because they themselves were not reporting on things. It probably was much like the Tara Reid story. It was like, oh, well, no one knows about it, so we're not going to report on it because no one's talking about it because we're not reporting on it because no one's talking about it. Thank you Dean Beke for that paradoxical logic which will forever apply henceforth to all stupid liberal stories that just go wildly underreported or unreported in a lot of cases. We'll just assume that that's the logic because that's what they said out loud cuz they're fucking idiots. Anyway, so Kaylee McEnany handing it to the fake news like, "Look, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot that could be said about Kaylee McEnany, one, one of which is obviously she's a very attractive blonde, and that there's a lot of uh, speculation as to how much that contributed to her getting this particular role. But Kaylee ain't no slouch when it comes to cutting a promo. That much I will tell you. She's prepared. She knows exactly what the scumbag media is going to do to try to defame her. She watched it happen to Sean Spicer. She watched it happen to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and now she's numero uno target. Uh, Stephanie Grisham escaped all this because she hasn't been doing press target uh, press briefings, but I have a feeling Kaylee's going to be doing a few press briefings. So this week, a reporter from Reuters tried to throw some comments that she made early on about the C-word, and, uh, and so um, she was prepared be- for, because, you know— let's face it, the, uh, the leftist media, while they are powerful, they are not incredibly intelligent. And it's very, very, very obvious and very predictable what they're going to do at any given time. So if you're Kaylee McNaney and you're sitting there going, I got to stand in front of a, a slew of leftist lunatics tomorrow, what kind of stupid shit are they going to ask me to try to get themselves in the limelight and to try to embarrass me? Well, they're obviously going to talk about these comments I made on Fox a while back that were even in this reporter's Uh, interpretation of them taken wildly out of context and she puts him and for that matter the whole media in their place and then mike drops this bitch and shuffles on out of there like a straight up g which she most certainly is kaylee mcenany let's hear it right here on the right opinion podcast
1: um kaylee in a previous life Before you were press secretary, you worked for the campaign and you made a comment, I believe, on Fox, in which you said President Trump will not allow the coronavirus to come to this country. Given what has happened since then, obviously, would you like to take that back? Well, first, let me note, I was asked a question um, on Fox Business about President's travel restrictions. I noted what was the intent behind those travel restrictions, which is, we will not see the coronavirus come here. We will not see terrorism come here, referring to an earlier set of travel restrictions. I guess I would turn the question back on the media and ask similar questions. Does Vox want to take back that they proclaim that the coronavirus would not be a deadly pandemic? Does the Washington Post want to take back that they told Americans to get a grip the flu is bigger than the coronavirus? Does the Washington Post, likewise, want to take back that our brains are causing us to exaggerate the threat of the coronavirus? Does the New York Times want to take back that fear of the virus may be spreading faster than the virus itself? Does NPR want to take back that the flu was a much bigger threat than the coronavirus? And finally, once again, the Washington Post, would they like to take back that the government should not respond aggressively to the coronavirus? I'll leave you with those questions and maybe you'll have some answers. In a few days,
0: we can be heroes. Like, come on, man. I, look, I'm, I'm obviously being a little hyperbolic on the hero thing because they're not, you know, this is not the level of the people that I thanked at the beginning of the show here. But like I said, when you got an enemy that is the fake news, we need, you know, we need crusaders, we need people to fight. The enemy of the people, which is the fake news, and they, for some reason, despite the fact they know the internet exists, they know how it works, and they know that nothing is ever removed from it, they too underplayed the virus in the early goings. And they're just trying to pretend that it was just Trump, his supporters, and right-wing alternative media. That's what they've been doing for the last month. While they're talking about, you know, the, the, the lives lost and the economy and all this sort of stuff. All problems that they've exacerbated, by the way. But um, the, the idea that these media people were fully informed, had a grand plan that was just simply ignored is is an absolute fallacy. This is this is the fabric of this alternate reality that they are trying to paint for you is that Trump and the right wingers and the conspiracy theorists and the Fox News watchers and the the trailer park, you know, flyover state people that these these people were just completely out of their minds because they thought this was just no big deal. And the media was super serious about this, was covering this, was holding people accountable like Nancy Pelosi and de Blasio who are inviting people out in mass in major metropolises. They they weren't doing any of that. They weren't taking it any more seriously than the Fox News channel was or that the Daily Wire was or that the Daily Caller was or whatever the case may be. They were just as, you know, as lax about this as everybody else, if not worse, because at the end of the day, like I said, the Pelosi's of the world, the de Blasio's of the world, these people in blue states and in super blue cities were the ones that put a lot of people in danger. Andrew Cuomo is still being worshipped, despite the fact that he is personally responsible for a bulk of the deaths in the nursing homes, because he put a stupid mandate in place that said, we need to we need to put, take these, uh, I'm, I'm talking about the fucking virus again, Kaylee McEnany, do, <laughs> deviate, That's a, that was a hard left turn there, Kaylee McEnany, Um, you know, putting these people in their place, being prepared for their bullshit is going to do everybody a tremendous service. And the media can try to spin it all they want. Every word of what she just said was true there. And every headline she read was an actual headline that was going out at the same time that They're claiming all of the Fox News, the Trump supporters, the 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 right-wing flyover state country bumpkin conspiracy theorists, whatever the fuck they want to call us, the Walmart people, the smelly Walmart people, the deplorables, the irredeemables, whatever you got, baby, keep on throwing it our way. It only ensures to me that I'm doing a good job to be triggering you fucking fools as much as I do. So xenophobe, racophobe, uh, Islamophobe, whatever the fuck, whatever you got. Bring it, like just bring it, to quote Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Um, so Kaylee putting these media folk in their place is not only awesome in this moment, but hopefully will continue to be awesome moments moving forward. These people are garbage, fucking people, and Kaylee McEnany is taking out the trash. Moving on from there, speaking of trash, Joe Biden did a virtual town hall recently, and I mean. Huh. Look, there's, you can't put lipstick on a pig, you can't polish a turd, and you cannot, under any circumstances, sell to any rational human being that Joe Biden should be in charge of the greatest country in the free world. Like, I mean, there's no conceivable measure by which you can make this man seem competent, seem relevant, seem in any way, shape, or form, even with it, nevertheless, to the point to where he should excel and hold the highest office in the land, again, of the greatest country in the history of the world. This is this is really terrifying. And then they, they take it a step further and they have him doing a virtual town hall because, you know, he's like, if anybody's in quarantine, it's Joe Biden. If God forbid this motherfucker gets coronavirus, it is a game for him and probably the De- Democratic Party from now until the end of time. Um, but it, it will just completely crumble. Can you imagine the madness that would break out if Biden was unable physically and that we had to go to Bernie or a Hillary emerged or a uh, Bloomberg popped back in or whatever it was The I mean, they're lucky that that convention probably isn't going to happen because I'm convinced that there would be like massive riots. Like these people have had enough of each other's bullshit. There is such a fissure in the, uh, a fissure, I suppose, uh, in the, um, in the democratic party. And it is, it is amazing. And Joe Biden is like the only thing holding it all together right now, eh barely so barely so and so they have the, they have him doing this virtual town hall i guess whatever it is they actually have him operating the computer at some point which means that the people on his staff must be going into an equal if not greater cognitive decline than joe biden is to think that that was a good idea but then they've got him talking and our hero for this segment in addition to the absolutely god awful Internet bandwidth, you know, whatever the fuck happened here, the connection was so bad um, that that even Joe Biden, you almost, while he's generally incoherent, the uh, the pauses that you're about to hear and all of this audio and the skips and the lags, that is not me. That is not me manipulating it. That was pulled directly from the YouTube feed from the Biden campaign, Um, and it is it is really bad. But the real hero here is the bird in the background who's clearly had enough of joe biden's lies as if you notice it happens to be calling right after he makes some ridiculous over-the-top virtue signal statement or some blatant inaccuracy uh, about the current situation so joe do it your best brother take it away if you even know what it is and where away may be
1: this president summoned barely a word barely a word of empathy of responsibility of regret there is no indication whatsoever that he understands the depth of the pain and the loss this crisis has brought. At the same time, this pandemic is exploiting the gaps of inequity that have always existed in our society. You know, it's, it's raining open the disparities and injustices that we allowed to fester. You know, it's estimated that 90% of African-American-owned businesses were shut out of the first wave of relief. Not because the relief package was racist on its face, but because of pre-existing systematic disparity, disparities in our lending, our lending system. You know, we should be designing our economic response.
0: <laughs> and it goes on from there. Uh, for those of you who, who don't speak bird, um, I'll, I'll just translate pretty much what they were saying there is bullshit, Shut up, You're old and you're creepy. That was the, that was the general gist of as Joe was trying to convey to people through terrible internet connection, through a terrible Zoom feed, with a terrible message, and ter- and frankly, a terrible messenger. So, poor old Joe. If he wasn't so, you know, borderline evil and outright corrupt heading into all of this, um, I-, I would feel very bad for him as we're watching him slowly decline and his campaign just has no ideas as to how to push this guy as viable because, frankly, it's an impossible job. But uh, not that I, like Joe's got memory loss, clearly, but obviously he probably didn't watch that Trump interview with David Muir as, as Biden was bitching about how Trump has never shown even a little bit of empathy for, um, for the people who were lost in all of this. Uh, here's a quick clip from ABC News, I believe, or yeah, ABC News, uh, and David Muir, who is a grown-ass man with a mullet. Uh, and under these given, you know, circumstances, the C word, um, you know, I can understand somebody having a situation like that. I'm not looking too well-kempt these days, I guess. I, I, I don't know. But nevertheless, um, I, I David Muir is hilarious. I don't know who watches David Muir besides my parents, but rest assured, I am ridiculing them when I go over to their house and I happen to see that they have this guy on. How can you take this man seriously? But he does ask a very basic question here of Trump, and Trump gives in my opinion, uh, a, a very empathetic response to this. And I, I think you can hear in his voice how sincere he is. So here is the president talking to the people who have lost people in uh, as a result of the C-word. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you one more question about the nearly 70,000 Americans whose lives have been lost. Grandparents, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters— right. We've lost more people now than we lost in the Vietnam War. What do you want to say to those families tonight? I want to say I love you. I want to say that we're doing everything we can. There is nobody. I don't sleep at nights thinking about it. There is nobody that's taking it harder than me. But at the same time, I have to get this enemy defeated. And that's what we're doing, David. That's what we're doing. There you have it. He loves you. He's he's thinking of you. He is losing sleep at night over you. Uh, And your loss. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you can make the uh, accusation that that's just a political, you know, soundbite, whatever the case may be. But um, I mean, as somebody who's been following this guy in his political career now for five years or whatever it is, um, I can can usually tell when, when he's full of shit and he's not. And I mean, obviously, this is not by any means any sort of empirical evidence of his sincerity there. But I mean, you got, you got to imagine, again, if you want to just apply the worst possible motives to him and that this is all about him, having 70,000 people die on his watch is not good for his legacy as a president, as a great American, and um, obviously he doesn't like that. So it, to, to suggest that he's, like, reveling in this is um, utterly absurd and— uh, I think he really does feel for these families, man. I mean, we've we've seen more than enough stories, or at least we did early on in the presidency, uh, before they were all completely shut down by every conceivable measure uh, and method, for that matter. Uh, but you know, we've we've heard experiences about him calling families that have that have uh, died. You know, they lost a loved one in the, in the military, or they lost a loved one. Um, you know, e- even just for something that that he was just made aware of via a story, and he reached out to people, and uh, he doesn't need to do a lot of that stuff, but he does. And uh, I, I think he's somebody who just I think he likes people, you know, like he's even the billionaire that, you know, he would go down to the job site and go to the construction site and talk to the the people who worked on the on the lower tier of his hotels and all that kind of stuff. He He's not the snobby above it all billionaire. And frankly, I think that's precisely why he never got along with all of the snobby, um, you know, above it all billionaires. And that's why they've all turned on him. And that's why he felt the need to oppose them as uh, as 2016 came around. So, um yeah, props to uh to Trump there and uh and fucking Biden and his team. My god, it's hard to tell which one of them's more brain damaged, Biden or his team. So, moving on from there, Shelley Luther. She is the salon owner in Texas who was jailed for one week or at least sentenced to jail for one week for opening her shop and trying to provide haircuts and you know, other hair treatments to people. And, you know, she has a little salon down there. She was getting to the point to where, you know, money was getting tight and things were starting to loosen up. And even though she wasn't, I guess, legally told that she could open up her shop, she decided that she was going to do so. She and her employees were, you know, coming on some real hard times here and they needed some income. And it came down to, You know, do we violate the order and open up and try to feed our families or do we just, you know, not feed our families? Obviously, when given that opportunity or given that choice, you go with the with the former. You got to open up. You got to take the chance. You got to try to bring some money in so you can bring some food in. And uh, she did that. She was arrested. She was told multiple times not to do this. She shredded up, you know, one of their uh, I guess, you know, they, they, they handed her a summons of some sort and she just like ripped it up right in front of them. And good for her for that. She is a hero. Now, here's a couple of clips from the actual court uh, the uh, court hearing, I guess, that took place last week at this point, I believe. And uh, she was basically told, as, as you'll hear from the judge here, that, look, like, we get it. Just apologize and don't open up the shop and we're not going to make any bigger deal out of this. And, uh, and the man, you know what? I've got some things to say about what the judge has to say here. So let's play that and then I'll be right back. You now see the error of your ways and understand that the society cannot function where one's own belief in a concept of liberty permits you to flaunt your disdain for the rulings of duly elected officials,
1: that you owe an apology to the elected officials whom you disrespected disrespected, by flagrantly ignoring and in one case defiling their orders, which you now know
0: obviously apply to you and that you represent to this court that you will today cease operation of your salon. Um how about no motherfucker like i mean seriously what what a bitch i mean th- this judge clearly is is just fine with all the power grabs and the authoritarian nonsense that's been going on here to be about the law, to be about the Constitution, to, to to support the Constitution, which is what you're supposed to be doing as a judge, because that's what we're looking at as far as the foundation of the laws that we have here in this country, to suggest that... What did he say? Let me play it again. The society cannot function where one's own belief in a concept of liberty permits you to flaunt your disdain for the rulings of duly elected officials. Motherfucker, have you even read the Constitution? Like, have you... Have you heard of the Bill of Rights? Hashtag 1A. Our entire society is built upon the foundational belief that we are given by God the right to do precisely what he just said, and that is to flaunt our disdain for duly elected officials. There's a reason why the freedom of speech is upheld in our Constitution and cannot be infringed upon by government. It's precisely for reasons like this. When government's overstep their bounds, and enact ordinances and rules and all sorts of restrictions on our basic freedoms. This woman has a right as an American citizen to try to earn a living. She owns a shop, she has a service to provide, and yes... All fucking jobs are essential, okay government? It is not incumbent upon her as a salon owner to justify to you why her business is essential. It is incumbent upon you as the government to now explain to her why her business is non-essential and to compensate her properly. This is essentially eminent domain, right? Is that the government stepping in and saying, we need everybody to do this. We need you to close down. We need this plot of land. We're going to build this road. No, we need you to stay home to try to protect other people because there are externalities in play and the government does have a role in trying to protect people from one another to a certain extent. And particularly when we're looking at something on a national and global scale, scale. They're the best suited to at least organize the efforts, not simply rule with an iron fist. The rights don't go away because all of a sudden there's a pandemic. There are no asterisks in the Bill of Rights. They are non-negotiable. And for that matter, to to, to call back even to the Declaration of of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness she is not being provided with liberty she is being taken her life is being taken away from her and she can't even pursue her next meal and and a sheerly and, and a simply mediocre life nevertheless a happy one this is all against all of our foundational beliefs all of our foundational documents everything the founding fathers stood for and the revolutionaries fought for this is utter absurdity and Shelley luther you know, not all heroes wear capes, not all of them cut hair either, but this one does, and God bless her for it. Here's what she had to say in response to that judge. Miss Luther, take it away.
1: Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that I've never been in this position before, and it's not some place that I want to be, but I have to disagree with you, sir, when I, when you say that I'm selfish because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon.
0: There goes my hero watch her as she goes Shelley Luther standing up to the authoritarian overreach of government and this particular judge in this instance giving her giving him rather the finger and saying no throw me in jail because this isn't right and I'm standing up for it I will not apologize for trying to conduct my business for trying to help myself and my, uh, my employees feed their families. It is, again, incumbent upon the government to prove that her business is non-essential, not the other way around and if they are going to deem her business non-essential and close her down she needs to be properly compensated by the government and the unemployment stuff and whatever's going on with the small businesses she's not even able to open up the shop so it doesn't even it, it, it's at a point right now to where she needs money coming in the government isn't doing what it needs to do in order to help her in that manner and so she's taking it upon herself furthermore all jobs are are essential, except for the you know, rare instance where you got like a kid who's the son of the boss who's on the payroll, doesn't even show up and he's collecting a salary. Other than those jobs, all jobs are essential. There are precisely zero people out there who own businesses who are paying people to do nothing. They clearly find their business to be essential, and it is sent and it is by the virtue of the fact that it is functioning and making profit. People are making money. Uh, people people are, are acquiring their goods and services in a manner in which it is clearly essential. Otherwise, the business itself would not exist and would end up closing. Furthermore, there are no jobs out there in which a boss is paying you to do nothing. Your your service, whatever it is that you provide, is essential to your boss because if it weren't, they would not pay you to be doing it. For instance, I, I find a lot of the tasks that I do at my job to be rather rudimentary and rather simple could they be paying somebody less to do them probably but whatever it is that they pay me they've determined that it is essential that somebody is doing that particular function and that it is worth x amount of dollars in their opinion and then i go to work, and I perform that function. All jobs are essential. All businesses that are up and fully functioning and operational are essential by just the very nature of the fact that they exist and they profit and they thrive, because if they weren't essential, they would do none of those things. Good for Shelley Luther. God bless that woman. By the way, uh, Governor Abbott and uh, the attorney general, I believe, down there in Texas did speak out and say that they don't want this woman to be sentenced and put in jail. There is a process there where I guess the governor can't just wave a wand and pardon them like you see in the movies. Um, In this case, they need to go through a parole board or something along those lines, and they need to initiate that process. But I don't believe she's being held currently. I think that's already been resolved. If not, it will be shortly in all likelihood. But they were going to jail her for a week for opening up her salon a week before she was able to legally open it up anyway. It's insane, it's criminal, and hopefully there's, uh, in addition to her being freed, there's some disciplinary action taken against that judge and those police officers and anybody who is involved in that authoritarian nonsense. Moving on from there, let's move on to our first ever homosexual uh, cabinet member, Director of National Intelligence Richard Grinnell. Now, it doesn't matter to us that he's homosexual, but they will... uh, you know that the woke scolds out there will uh, seem to forget that the first ever LGBTQAAIP2 um, you know cabinet member was appointed by Donald J. Trump, but you know, homophobia, or transphobia or something along those lines. So Richard Grinnell, our hero this week, because he is combating yet another enemy of the people, and that enemy happens to be little pencil Neck Adam Schiff. People are talking about his neck, it's so small, and his head is so big, and his eyes are all googly, it must be a Democrat thing, look at that AOC, she's got those googly eyes too, everybody's all googly, and, and, and Google, Google's all googly, is that why they call it Google? I don't know, but but people were talking about it, and then I was hearing it, and then I came out here, and I said the people were talking about it, believe me. Anyway, so uh, Richard Grinnell, where was I? Oh yeah, he's combating Adam Schiff, so he says to Adam Schiff, uh Look, Adam, you're sitting on all these transcripts from the Mueller investigation, all of these House Intelligence Committee, um, you know, testimonies that are out there. There's like 57 of these things, and they've all been cleared and declassified and redacted appropriately, and they're all good to go. And so Adam Schiff, in a panic move, says to him, says, you know, runs to the nearest microphone, and he's like, well, Grinnell's trying to do this because— Obviously, this is a political move. He's a very political appointee for a very political president, which is like all of that is so insanely redundant and, uh, and, and you know, just shamefully biased, right? Like to suggest that anything that's being done by this presidency or for that matter, Republicans is being done with a political motivation, but nothing that he's ever done is done by a political motivation is, is outrageous and borderline just like silly. I mean, no, it's not even borderline silly. It's outright silly. It would make somebody giggle if they were even mildly aware of what's going on in the world. So he says, well, obviously, these are attacks by Grinnell. Uh, You know, these redactions, we can't trust them because he's such a political actor and all this sort of stuff. And then Richard Grinnell follows up and says, actually, Adam, um, I just took over as the DNI recently. These were uh, these redactions were all done under the previous DNI. I'm just letting you know they're all good to go and you can go ahead and release them. (laughs) Oh fuck you, Adam Schiff! Like just unbelievable. He was sitting on these things, and why was he sitting on all these things? Well, like I said, there was fifty-seven transcripts. Some of the big names. I mean, we got Andy McCabe was one of them. James Clapper, uh, Ellen Farkas, uh, Sally Yates, uh, Don Jr., Michael Cohen, Brad Pascal. Like all of these things, all of these big names, all these all these names that you've heard. Throughout the course of the RussiaGate nonsense, and they, and they were always, you know, it always seemed like these guys were doing so. Clapper's such a hero, and McCabe's doing all these wonderful things, and he's running this investigation. Don Jr. so bad, and Cohen knows everything, and all, all of these, all of these ridiculous claims that you heard, a lot of which either came from anonymous sources or Adam Schiff. And it turns out now that all fifty-seven transcripts have been released, that there was absolutely. No evidence in any of them that there was any collusion between Donald Trump and the Russians. None whatsoever. Mr. Clapper, James Clapper, was directly quoted as saying, no, I saw no empirical evidence that there was any conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. It, I mean, this is James Clapper. James Clapper was the DNI, the director of national intelligence. That was a role that he played under the Obama administration after Michael Flynn held it for a period of time. He was let go for insubordination, a.k.a. being a fucking patriot. And here we go with Obama getting rid of him. He puts Clapper in place. Clapper is the highest-ranking intelligence officer in the land. He is above even Comey's and the Brennans of the world, actually, as a result of the Patriot Act, from from how I understand. I think Bongino was talking about that the other day. So they work for him. And at no point in time was Clapper asking Brennan or Comey, hey, do you actually have any evidence that any of the stuff in this dossier is true? That any of the predication upon which this investigation existed, is any of it true? I, I, any of it? And either he didn't ask because he didn't want to know, or he did ask and was never shown anything that amounted to anything and allowed the investigation to continue inexplicably. Nope, not inexplicably, explicably, because he and the rest of them are corrupt pieces of shit. So Grinnell released all those testimonies, nothing in Don Jr.'s testimony was damning, like nothing in Brad Pascal or any of these other people was damning, all of the stuff on the other end, the Sally Yateses and the Clappers and the McCabes, all of them testified to the fact that they didn't know or see anything definitive that even suggested that Donald Trump and the Russian government were in cahoots in an attempt to steal the 2016 election for the president of the United States. None whatsoever. And this is Adam Schiff was holding on to all these things, right? He's hoarding them, much like he's hoarding... um. What's his name? Um, um, Michael Atkinson, the ICIG's testimony from the impeachment hearing. He still got that held up in in a closet somewhere um, next to his you know child torture taint chamber in his basement, Spe- allegedly. I'm just saying. Uh, got a, Got a, Got a CYA on that one. But he's still holding on to these transcripts. And Grinnell's like, oh, by the way, buddy, you can go ahead and release those. But why was why was Schiff holding on to them? Now, there were some reports that Schiff was in panic mode over these transcripts, but he did ultimately release them, probably because Grinnell exposed him so badly by saying, not only can you release them, but any of your your potential um, suspicions of political motivation are no, because I wasn't in place when these were cleared and redacted and, and, and declassified. So Schiff released the transcripts. Now, he's been exposed. He's been talking about all this time, for all these years, all of these different, um, it, it, you know, interviews that he's done on CNN, on Fox, he was even on Tucker Carlson's talking about, um, you know, I've seen more than circumstantial evidence that, that the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians. There's a lot of, uh, you know, on its surface information and, uh, there, you know, all these things. He said over and over again, I've seen this in evidence. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Well, where was it? Because it wasn't in the Mueller report, because the Mueller report, like on page two of the Mueller report, says very clearly that we found no evidence that the Trump campaign colluded or conspired in any way with the Russian government. That's a paraphrase, as, as many of those have been. It's all the same language over and over again. Um, but he, there's no proof. There was none. Mueller wrote like this fucking 500-page report, but none of it showed any evidence that the Trump team had actively colluded with the Russians in order to steal the 2016 election. Adam Schiff said many times, he saw the evidence. Well, where was the evidence? Was there anything in any of those 57 transcripts that you were hiding from the American people for months? No. So where was it? It was nowhere. He He was holding on to the fact that there was more evidence that the American public hadn't seen, and so he was running with these lies for months, and even now, up to this day. I'm sure he will still tell you that he saw evidence, but... All of virtually all the evidence has now been released, and there is no evidence to speak of in terms of Trump Russian collusion. So, Adam Schiff just got exposed big time, and that was, you know, due to Richard Grinnell, the director of of national intelligence. Awesome. Thank you, Mr. Grinnell, the honorable Richard Grinnell, uh, for doing the right thing and for also dunking on Adam Schiff in the process. All right, last hero here, and then we're going to get into some zeros. Michael Flynn, General Michael Flynn, former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump for a cup of coffee, former Director of National Intelligence himself under the Obama administration. He was obviously acquitted. Um, he was the, All the charges were dropped, as a matter of fact, with prejudice. Um, they were dismissed by the DOJ. And this is wonderful. I'm going to get into some of the finer details. I'm putting together a show right now about Michael Flynn and the timeline on the Flynn case It's going to be part of uh, probably a multi-part Spygate series that I will ultimately do. But Michael Flynn is one of the pillars of this investigation. He was one of the big four that the government was trying to go after in order to try to get dirt on Trump and get one of these people to flip on Trump. Their big miscalculation in all this is that there was nothing to flip on Trump about because he was not colluding with the Russians despite the evidence that they seemingly had manufactured for them. And I will be talking about that theory when I get into the Michael Flynn special. But Michael Flynn released. This is a great day for America. This is a great day for justice. Anybody out there telling you that Bill Barr did something, you know, super political here is just being dishonest in all this. um, There there are a couple things I want to debunk real quick. And then I want to thank a bunch of people for their heroism in in getting Michael Flynn freed, a hero unto himself at that. Um, So you're going to hear a lot about how he pled guilty twice. There's two big problems with that. I kind of gave you the rudimentary layperson's explanation for that last week, right? There's a a myriad of examples of people that plead guilty to crimes that they didn't do. They plead to lesser charges that that had nothing to do with the original charge. You plead guilty to not wearing a seatbelt as opposed to pleading guilty to going 10 over the speed limit because there's no points in the judge is cutting you a break, and so is the prosecutor or the cop involved or whatever the case may be. People do this sort of stuff all the time. There's also situations where, um, frankly, you know, it's like a forced confession, right? It's a a situation where the government is leaning so heavily on just an average everyday citizen, who Michael Flynn is not an average everyday citizen, but he, he lives like one as far as his socioeconomic status goes. And the government laid its full weight upon him to the point to where it bankrupted him, they were also threatening his son, and there's a reason, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of reasons why he pled guilty not once but twice to this, and that's because the government was applying about as much pressure as it could conceivably apply legally, and it and, and may not even have been legal at that. But let's get into the legal nitty-gritty of all this sort of stuff. So two flaws with the he pled guilty twice theory. Number one is that, yes, lying to the FBI or a federal investigator is a crime, but... That is not a crime in all cases all the time. There needs to be something material to what he to the investigation, meaning that it needs to be meaningful. If they ask you what you had for breakfast on a given day and you tell them the wrong thing and they know for a fact you had pancakes when you said you had waffles, that is immaterial to the case. It has nothing to do with the substance of the investigation. It's not sending the investigators down the wrong path. Michael Flynn was was supposedly lying to federal agents Peter Struck and, and Joe Pianca in his interview with them on January 24, 2017. They asked him questions about a transcript that they had that they did not show him, which violates, not violates, but is against most protocols that they would implement in such a situation where they were questioning a suspect and had a transcript of the phone call. Shadiness aside, they had the transcript. So they were interviewing him about words that they knew for a fact what they were already. They knew nothing he was going to say to them at any point during that conversation was going to change the fact that they already knew what he said to Kislyak, the ambassador from Russia. They already knew. They had an entire transcript typed up. At no point in time was what he said going to change their interpretation of what they already know that he said. And the predicate for the interview was so weak that it wasn't even able to stand on its own as its own investigation, and the federal government knew that. There happened to be a previous investigation into Michael Flynn for Russian-related nonsense prior to this that opened up in August of 2016 and was carried forward to January of 2017 and was literally about to be closed. There was a draft written up saying that in the four months that they had been, five months that they had been investigating him, they had not found any derogatory evidence to suggest that he had any criminal or otherwise shady ties to the Russian government and that he was not compromised and they were about to close the case. Then there's a big meeting in the White House that takes place on January 5th with all of the big names, Susan Rice, Sally Yates, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, James Clapper, John Brennan, and they're all sitting there, I believe Comey as well, and they're all sitting there talking about well, what are we going to do about Michael Flynn and they just so happened to realize that he talked to Kislyak two weeks before, and it was being reported in the Washington Post. They used that as an excuse. Claiming that the Logan Act is enough of a reason to question him, a law that was implemented in 1799 that has never been successfully prosecuted and is probably in all likelihood unconstitutional, which is why it's never been successfully prosecuted. Very shaky ground upon which they would have never been able to open their own brand new investigation to justify. So they tacked it on to the one that was about to close. Peter Strzok called somebody in the FBI and said, hey, don't close that case yet. If you haven't already, and then sure enough, they use that already open investigation to piggyback off of and then use the Logan Act, a very weak and and untenable claim. Uh, for which you might actually jail the incoming national security advisor because, let's face it, as the incoming national security advisor, it's not as if he's doing his own foreign policy on be- uh, you know uh, against the will of the United States. He is going to be the incoming person working on foreign policy on behalf of the United States. So he didn't violate the Logan Act. They knew that. They went to go interview him, and they just tripped him up about things that he may have said, none of which, by the way— the things that he supposedly lied about were um, were he talked to the Russians about a UN vote about ceasing Israeli settlements in Palestinian territory, and another thing was sanctions that were recently implemented right around Christmas of that year um, against uh, against Russian. Uh, embassies that that Obama shut down and, and basically deported all of their ambassadors back to Russia. They were calling Flynn to talk to him about their potential course of action to retaliate against Obama, and Flynn was doing what he could to try to temper down the situation and was not only acting in the best interest of, of the American people, but really in the best interest of Of all parties involved, in escalation from Russia would have probably caused a lot of issues that didn't need to be as there was a new administration taking hold anyway in the not-too-distant future. And so even if he had talked about those things, which he most certainly did according to uh, the testimony uh, of the FBI agents uh, in accordance with the transcript that they had— even if he had talked about all of those things, none of that was illegal, none of that would have violated the Logan Act, and they tripped him up on some of the minor details of the conversation in order to get him to lie, supposedly. They, even at the time, though, said that they didn't think he was being untruthful, but uh, the, the greater timeline will eventually pop up down the line, but the notion, uh, more uh, to get back to, I guess, my original point here was to debunk the notion that he pled guilty twice. First and foremost, like I said, The lie to federal investigators, to the FBI, needs to be a material lie, needs to be something that would have basically obstructed justice if he was telling them this, and then they did a bunch of actions after the fact that deviated them off the path of trying to find the truth. He didn't do that. Nothing Nothing he said in that interview was going to, in any way, shape, or form... Uh, change their investigation because they already knew exactly what he said and because they already knew exactly what he said any idea that the logan act would be enough for them to open an investigation against him or even interview him in general is insane because they literally have the words on paper and if he violated the logan act they wouldn't have needed to interview him they would have simply been able to prosecute because again they already had what he said on paper written down so it was all a trap from the get-go. The lie itself was immaterial because it didn't in any way in, in, you know, change the investigation or, or send it off, off course. And furthermore, and this is a real big one because this is brought up in a litany of lawsuits where there's been improper guilty pleas, is that a guilty plea in order to be valid legally in the United States needs to be given knowingly, voluntarily, and intelligently. Now, obviously, he is intelligent. He is very much aware of the inner workings of the intelligence community. He even told Michael, Michael Flynn even told Andrew McCabe when McCabe was going to send Stroke and Pianka over to interview him. He told them, yeah, I mean, you already know what I said. I assume you guys had that conversation recorded. You listen to everything that the Russians have to say. So he knew he knew he was being recorded. Why would he have lied about these things? None of this makes any sense. So anyway, Um, needs to be done, the guilty plea that is, knowingly, voluntarily, and intelligently. Now, obviously he was intelligent, he was of sound mind when he made the decision, but knowingly and voluntarily, not so much. A, the voluntarily kind of goes out the window, when you consider the fact that he was being bankrupted and ultimately bankrupted, and for that matter, the Sidney Powell um, uh, regime of lawyers that took over for him and eventually got him freed was working off of crowdfunding money is that there was a general flynn uh, defense fund that was being crowdfunded and that's the money that she was making off of so um he was already bankrupt by the time he got to the second go around of trying to get himself exonerated here the third go around even Um, but also so it wasn't done voluntarily from the aspect of he he ran out of money and wasn't able to find himself a suitable defense to go up against the full weight of the federal government and they were threatening to imprison his son, so he wasn't doing it voluntarily. Voluntarily, and he wasn't doing it knowingly because the government willfully violated Brady disclosures. Now, Brady decision basically states that the government is responsible for turning over any exculpatory information um, if if there is any information that they've gathered that suggests that the person in question did not commit the crime, even in the case of a guilty plea, that they need to bring that forward. And because it was never brought forward and he couldn't have access to it, he couldn't have possibly known what they knew, which was that he was not guilty, but they were going to pressure him anyway until he ultimately pled guilty or turned on Trump, which unfortunately for them and him, probably, there was nothing for him to turn on Trump about, which was the big flaw in their plan. So at the end of the day, like I said, the lie itself wasn't material to the case. It didn't change anything because they knew exactly what he said already and That guilty plea was not entered knowingly or voluntarily, which is two two of the three standards that are required in order for the guilty plea to be valid. So the next time you get the, oh, but he pled twice, feel free to go full-blown people's court on their ass and drop all of what I just told you there, knowingly and voluntarily, and it was neither. Big, big problem when you're trying to prosecute somebody, particularly a three-star general, a guy who's dedicated, you know, over a quarter of a century to protecting our country. It's really despicable. And why? Why did they do all of this at the end of the day? Well, it's simply because he's a guy who spent over a quarter of a century trying to defend our country, both on the battlefield and, for that matter, eventually uh, in the intelligence community. And they knew as Michael Flynn's coming in as the national security advisor to President Trump. He knows all the game moves, he knows all the dirty tricks, he knows everything that the intelligence community can do and will do and has done, and him coming in with Trump at the helm was a real problem for all these people who were clearly up to no good and knew that Flynn would ultimately catch them, so they needed to make sure that Flynn wasn't the national security advisor, and that's why he was targeted. So uh, props to General Flynn, congratulations to him and his family for he is now free and able to enjoy some of his freedoms, hopefully sharpening his knives to come back around and get himself some revenge. Props to uh, the real hero in all of this this situation, Sidney Powell, attorney Sidney Powell, who came in at the defense of Michael Flynn and realized that this man was just being jobbed from left to right and up and down, and she said no. So props to her for her vigilance and all this, and props to Michael Flynn for that matter for his patience and all this. Props to U.S. Attorney Jeff Jensen, for his diligence, he was the one who uncovered a lot of the exculpatory information that the government was hiding, including the special counsel's office, as some of the documents were stamped SCO. So all of the two years of Mueller investigation, they knew very, very early on that all of these charges against all these people were nonsense. And nevertheless, they brought a charge of lying to the federal government or lying to a federal investigator U.S. Code 1001, whatever it is, they actually filed the charge against Michael Flynn knowing that the whole thing from the get-go was a setup and knowing that there was exculpatory evidence and never provided it to him, his lawyers, or his legal team in order to properly defend him. Shame on them. There should be some serious disciplinary disciplinary action being doled out on Mueller. And his team, Uh, props to obviously A.G. Barr, who did not initiate any of this, by the way. Attorney Jeff Jensen went to him, U.S. Attorney Jeff Jensen went to him and said, I found all this stuff. Frankly, we should drop the charges on Michael Flynn because it would be really, really hard to prove that this wasn't done in a dirty fashion considering what we've seen. Um, it's, It's time. Let's go ahead and drop the charges there. A.G. Barr took in that information signed off on it, and was willing to take the punishment that inevitably he did take on social media and from the leftist media and from the Democrats who are slowly watching their world crumble down around them. But because their world is artificial, it slowly gets gets patched up very quickly with just other bullshit to justify the bullshit that they now know is no longer true, but nevertheless are continuing to do so anyway. Uh, Props to Donald Trump, obviously, for trusting in the system. He's been very hands-off about all of this stuff. And he's letting the system work. He's letting A.G. Barr do his thing, and he is, and the DOJ is a better place because of it. And uh, thank, thankfully, we got people like a U.S. Attorney Jeff Jensen, and hopefully U.S. Attorney John Durham will ultimately bring some punishment to these people because, let's face it, they deserve it. Um, props to Sarah Carter. Um, Undercover Huber on Twitter. Also, Techno underscore Fog on Twitter um those two gentlemen are doing a lot of deep dives into a lot of the stuff actually you know and props to tracy beans too I, I, i wasn't a huge fan i'm starting to slowly become one i was watching one of her periscope videos the other day where she was just reading through all of the paperwork that was being released about the flynn case and doing a pretty damn good job of breaking it down so props to her as well shout outs to chuck ross of the daily caller dan bongino molly hemingway brian cates Uh, Jerry Dunleavy, Lee Smith, Jeff Carlson, and all of the other journalists, the real journalists who are out there um, actually more interested in truth than in clicks And what a sad state that we're in as a society is that you have to choose between the two and that they aren't simply synonymous. I will leave you with one high note in all of this, though. Here is an audio clip from a video that was released by General Flynn shortly after He was uh, exonerated fully and wholly and justly. Um, He is home and relaxing and hopefully, like I said, sharpening his knives and getting ready to come back and get himself some revenge. Because he was targeted by some very evil, very corrupt people simply because he was an American hero who they knew would do the right thing. And that meant putting them in jail. Uh, But here's a clip from his Twitter account. He posted a video of his grandson Reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, and my god, if this doesn't warm your heart, you need to move the fuck out of this country tomorrow. But here is General Flynn's grandson, and um, again, heartwarming. Here it is. I dedicate to the black, I name the states of America, and to the republic. Well, what's it that's for nation under God? and the Vagabot of Navity, and this uh-uh. is All right, ready? Wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, much more on General Flynn in weeks to come. Like I said, as I as I begin my Spygate series, General Flynn is one of the pillars, and I will be talking about that at great length. I'm putting together that episode now, uh, probably about a third of the way through the notes, if not closer to halfway. So that should be coming in the not-too-distant future. may even be popping up next weekend right here on The Right Opinion dot podbean.com uh, also could be available on hackerhameen.podbean.com or ratsaladreview.com and for that matter let's get a word from ratsaladreview.com uh, Wayne Noon take it away and then we'll come back with the zeros for the week as a, this episode is heroes and zeros and well we've got some zeros and we'll be talking about them right after this looking for
1: some new podcasts to listen to well Salad Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from like Rat Salad Review where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as
0: interviews and albums. Album versus Album. The King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a God! Ralph Vieira is also on our network, with the Vieira Vault. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for Those Who Love Politics. A South Park Podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe i watch a long wrestling show called Beyond Bushido, ex Stradivarius guitarist,
1: the Timo Tolki podcast, and the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like podcast and the Laughcast. So check out RatsaladReview.com or search RatsaladReview on
0: YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Awesome. Thank you, Wayne. And check them out at RatsaladReview.com. Let's get into some of this. Uh, we did the heroes in the first half of the show. We're going to do the zeros, and it's about to get ugly. It is It is astonishing that people this dumb actually exist. And uh, just a few of them here, but let's get into John Pavlovitz. He is, uh, he is just a virtual gremlin who writes blog posts on his own website. He's a... Uh, His entire existence is one big virtue signal. He's one of these clowns you see tweeting his own article underneath Trump's tweets all the time. And for some ungodly reason, he's always one of the, quote, top tweets I see on political topics when the Twitter algorithm is intent on driving me into the arms of a dozen cats and a life of soy milk consumption. He's retweeting some of his old articles about Barack Obama who finally reemerged to endorse Joe Biden when there was no other candidates left. Uh, Because he feels that these articles, I guess, are relevant again because he lives in the alternate reality where Barack Obama was actually a good president. By the way, Hillary Clinton is the president in that reality because no person with a functioning brain could possibly rationalize the ideas that both Barack Obama was a great president and also that the American people were driven to the point of electing an outsider reality star billionaire playboy with hair that looks the way it does. There's no reality in which both of those things are true because in this reality, the only one that matters, to us anyway, Obama was such a terrible president that we elected a complete wild card based largely on the idea that he would reverse and erase the damage done by Obama and not exacerbate it the way that Hillary Clinton inevitably would have. So John Pavlovitz retweets this article he wrote back in 2017 entitled, No White MAGA Friend, You Weren't Embarrassed by Barack Obama. Embarrassed in quotes there. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is precisely the brand and caliber of dumbest fuckery that we need right now. Not only is it so pathetic, it's funny. It also displays the left's inability or unwillingness to recognize reality as the rest of us see it. This guy is still playing the race. He's still playing the race card in 2017 about Obama. And the old, you don't like him because he was black thing, it was so dated even back then and overdone at that time in May of 2017, but he still feels the need to dig that back up to advertise the fact that, yes, in May of 2017, he was a complete and utter woke fucking moron then, but don't worry, folks, he's an even bigger, dumb as fuck, woke moron today. Let's get into this article. I'm going to read most of it here, because honestly, it's relatively short, but it is hilarious. I'll obviously pause for commentary. Here is Mr. Pavlovich, uh, Pavlovitz? It doesn't matter what his name is! That's probably true. All right, so this clown writes, I remember the day after the election, a friend of mine who happens to be white remarked on social media that he, quote, finally wasn't embarrassed of America and our president. End quote. That is uh, right after the 2016 election. And by the way, when you start off your article with a friend of mine who happens to be white, literally nothing good can come from that point forward. You can just stop reading. Anyway, he continues, I sprained my eyes rolling them, and they never fully recovered. Since then, I've heard this sentiment echoed by more white folks than I can count. By the way, when you're naming an anonymous friend from Facebook and giving cl- claims like white, more white folks than I can count— I'm willing to bet none of this actually happened. Um, Especially in recent months, he continues. Supposed relief at once again having a leader who instills pride. Since I don't have the time to ask each of them individually, I'll ask here. So you were embarrassed for the past eight years, huh? Really? What exactly were you embarrassed by? Were you embarrassed by his lone and enduring 25-year marriage to a strong woman who's never ceased to publicly praise, respect, or cherish? Were you embarrassed by the way he lovingly and sweetly parented and protected his daughters? Were you embarrassed by his Columbia University degree in political science or his graduating magna cum laude from Harvard Law School? All right, pause. First and foremost, um, he's the president of the United States. He's not the fucking... Like, I mean, what do I care if he's got a if he's got like a healthy marriage and he's a good father? None of those things really. I mean, yeah, they're good for character, I suppose. But I don't necessarily need somebody to be of like the purest conceivable character to be my president. Frankly, we're seeing people who pretend to be that all the time and they're not particularly good at governing when they act that way. Um, the, the, the biggest selling point for the president of the United States is that he's a good husband and father. Really? I mean, how about like name any literally any policy that he implemented that was good for the country? Because that's the only fucking thing that matters when you're the president of the United States. By the way, we probably we probably would be embarrassed by his Columbia University degree in political science if there was any actual evidence that the guy was in Columbia at any point in time. They've done, like, retrospectives on this. All they have is a couple of pieces of paper and one guy who remembers living with him at the time. Virtually every other Columbia student that was at the, at the school at the time that he was there doesn't even remember that this guy existed. So there's really not a ton of evidence to suggest he really ha- held that degree or at least got it rightfully uh moving back into the article maybe you were embarrassed by his white american and black kenyan parents or the diversity he was raised in as normal what what's the why again the race card we're playing the race card this uh, how pathetic are you that you're like oh you obviously you don't like him and it obviously must be because i'm he's black It's because he's black. All of my friends are white. Like, this guy cannot see anything other than race, it appears. And what kind of person are you when you live in that world? Some would say a racist. Anyway, continues. Were you embarrassed by his eloquence, his quick wit, his easy humor, his seeming comfort meeting with both world leaders and street cleaners? By his bright smile or his sense of empathy for his his steadiness? Perhaps by his lack of personal scandals or verbal gaffes or impulsive tirades? What?! What world does this guy live in? Lack of personal scandals. I mean, the lack of personal scandals only exists because the media covered up for him. But I've gone through a variety of them that happened either as a result of him or under his watch. Obviously, the Spygate scandal. Project Cassandra um, delivering uh, $1.5 billion to Iraq. Apologizing on the world stage for America. Doing all of these ridiculous things that he's done. Oh, God. Fast and Furious. Benghazi. I mean, like, man, there was plenty of stuff. The IRS scandal uh, where they were targeting conservative 501c3 charitable organizations. None of those things were scandals because the media ignored them, but that doesn't make them any less corrupt or relevant verbal gaffs, this is the guy that said he visited all 57 states, impulsive tirades, the man was a walking talking promo, professional wrestling promo basically, I mean that's all he did was go out there and deliver a good speech he never at any point implemented anything worth a fuck, which is precisely why when you're selling him, the first things you go to are what a great husband he was, what a great student he was, what a great father he was, you know what you're not telling me? What a great president he was cause he wasn't a great president and even you, for some reason, weird ass apologizer for the worst president president possibly the most corrupt president in modern history all you have are selling points that have absolutely nothing to do with the job of being president he continues on talking about the people who were embarrassed no you weren't honestly i don't believe you were ever embarrassed that word implies an association that brings ridicule one that makes you ashamed by association and if that's something you claim to be to have experienced over the past eight years by having Barack Obama representing you in the world, I'm going to suggest you rethink your word choice. You weren't, quote, embarrassed by Barack Obama. You were threatened by him. You were intimidated by him. You were challenged by him. You were triggered by him. Nope, I was embarrassed by him, buddy. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, uh, none of those things are really true. Triggered, maybe a little bit, but only triggered because of how embarrassed I am. Challenged by him? Certainly not. It takes me all the five minutes to Google how fucking corrupt this guy was and the fact that he has any sort of legacy, which is only being held up by the media at this point as virtually everything he's ever done other than implement gay marriage on a national scale has been completely eviscerated and for the better, and uh, as far as the gay marriage thing goes... I'll give him props for that. It was one of two things he accomplished in eight years. The other was Obamacare, which was a travesty, and it continues to uh, sink our healthcare system to this very day. Threatened by him? No, certainly not. I've seen him lift those five-pound dumbbells. I'm not all that worried. Moving on, he continues, but I don't believe... It had anything to do with his resume or his experience or his character or his conduct in office. Well, that's because you're a fucking idiot. He continues, because you seem fully proud right now to be associated with a three-time-to-marry serial adulterer and confessed predator. He's not a confessed predator. They let you. What Again, what world do these people live in where they've compounded so many lies that they've actually fabricated a completely different reality for themselves? This is why I attack the media as much as they do, is that they've pushed these lies to the point to where by the time the retractions go out or the truth gets out, these people have already formulated a worldview based on things that were simply not true. Very few things in my world have I ever really stumbled upon where I was like, oh, shit, That changes everything, and that's because I don't listen to the mainstream media. It's really not all that difficult. They all lie, and that's all they do. It's really not. It's really not. It's silly at this, point to continue to believe this nonsense. He continues, a man whose election and business dealings and relationships are riddled with controversy and malfeasance. Okay, the guy's flawed. And controversy, again, is relative because the controversies only exist because of the goddamn media. You say, in one hand, no scandals for Obama, but controversy for Trump. Why is that? It's it's certainly not because Trump has has done worse things than Obama did. I can tell you that much, having looked at both sides of it. You're perfectly fine being represented by a bully, vile, a, a bullying, vile, obnoxious, genitalia grabbing, Twitter ranting, prime minister shoving charlatan who's managed to offend all our allies and alienate millions of our citizens in a few short months. Not wh- what? Who is he alienated? Wh- who? Feel free to point them out, because the the people that he has alienated aren't citizens, that's for sure. He's alienated the aliens, that much I will give you. He has definitely done that, but uh, the genital grabbing and the tweet ranting and all these hyphenated insults along the way, all of this sort of, yeah, I kind of like that he shoves prime ministers out of his way, and I kind of like that he's a bully, because he's our bully, and I kind of like that he's obnoxious, because he really, really triggers people like John whatever the fuck your name is here. And you're okay with him putting on religious faith like a rented, dusty, ill-fitting tuxedo and immediately tossing it in the garbage when he's finished with it? None of that you're embarrassed by? I wonder how that works. Actually, I'm afraid I have an idea. Listen, you're perfectly within your right to have disagreed with Barack Obama's policies or to have taken issue with his tactics. Oh, oh, now now I'm allowed to have problems with those things? Thanks. Thanks, John. No one's claiming he was a flawless politician or a perfect human being. No, that's exactly what you were saying. he was scandal-free, he's a great father, he was a great student. you basically were professing that he is a flawless politician and a perfect human being. you you literally just did that like four paragraphs ago. do I need I, I'm not going back and reading it moving on, but somehow I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I think the thing President Obama did that really upset you, white friend, was having a complexion that was far darker than you were ever comfortable with. I think the president we have now feels much better. Okay, um, not true. I mean, prove it, really. Like, what what is your evidence exactly that my particular issues with Barack Obama have anything to do with this skin color? Because I don't think he's a good president. I think he was corrupt. I don't think he was scandal-free. I can prove all of that verifiably and objectively. Your statement is that no one's saying he's perfect while saying he's perfect, and that it's definitely... Because of his skin color, when I just gave you a litany of other reasons as to why I was embarrassed by him being our president, and I truly was at a certain point early on, not gonna lie, there was a, there was a sense of pride. He wasn't my guy, but it was really cool that we had a black president, and it was nice that we kind of overcame that. It's a it's a nice benchmark in the progress that we've made as a society. I thought it was tremendous, I really did. wasn't a fan, never voted for him, didn't even vote for him the second time around, but very shortly after he was elected. I mean, it was just the guy's like the guy was a disgrace. He was terrible at everything he did. He he, the slowest economic recovery in in post-recession history coddled all of these Middle Eastern, you know, people, all, all the shit that Trump gets about, you know, like working alongside Saudi Arabia and stuff like that. Obama was just delivering pallets of cash to the Iranian government. Like, I mean, come on, man. The guy is, and for that matter, he got rid of Flynn because Flynn wanted to be harder on radical Islamic terrorism. He was like, "Nope, can't have that. In my administration, get on out of here." Here's the deal, America had to get rid of Michael Flynn because he's a he's a patriot, and uh, I'm not. I'm I'm a, I'm a bit of a renegade. You can go ahead and ask the Secret Service. Um, that was a little Bill Clinton-y at the end. All right, my apologies. He was speaking in the South. We'll we'll go with that because Obama liked to like many of the Democrats adjust how he speaks depending on the part of the country he's speaking in front of, and it's not even just in in in, uh, in substance. It's also in tenor and tone. He goes on, because, objectively speaking, if what's happening in our country right now doesn't cause you great shame and doesn't induce the continual meeting of your palm to your face, I don't believe embarrassment is ever something you struggle with. Okay, again, we disagree on policy here, man. I mean, the guys, Donald Trump cut taxes, has kept us out of multiple military conflicts, has pulled us out of stupid deals, has made our allies pull a little bit more of their own weight. He has instilled conservative judges. His Justice Department is finally now getting around to hopefully locking up some of the people that he talked about locking up. He's building the wall. He, he He's literally doing everything he said he was going to do short of putting Hillary Clinton in handcuffs. And there is still some hope for that, hopefully, somewhere down the line. But... Um, yeah, no, we just disagree on policy. It has absolutely nothing to do with the the color of Obama's skin, and it certainly does not make me do the facepalm gimmick because uh, I'm not embarrassed by our president. I think he's a great reflection of our country. I think there's a lot of loud mouths on Twitter out there in this country, and I think having one in the White House is a, is a nice little way for some of you idiots out there, people like yourselves, John, whatever the fuck— Um, you, um, you know, you should probably look at Donald Trump and realize how similar you actually are to him, how much you actually rely on him, being that virtually every headline on your stupid blog contains his name, um, to sit around and pretend like you're embarrassed by what's going on with Donald Trump is to suggest that you aren't actively trying to capitalize on it, which is obviously not the case. I hope your blog is making you many, many cents And, uh, you know, God God bless you and your future delusions, I suppose. Continuing on, closing out the article here. No, if you claim to be embarrassed by Barack Obama, but you're somehow not mortified by Donald Trump, I'm going to strongly suggest that it was largely a pigmentation issue. And as an American and a Christian, oh, now we're going to hide behind his patriotism and his religion because that this is, this is where he cinches that he's got the moral high ground here. And as an American and a Christian committed to diversity and equality and to the liberty at the heart of this nation, that embarrasses me. And then he plugs his book at the bottom here. I will not be purchasing it. I'm not even to burn it. And maybe if it goes on sale on Amazon for like less than a buck, which it probably will, not too distant future. Um, yeah, maybe then I'll pick it up for some kindling. It might be worth it. I can use it to like, I don't know, like candles or something along those lines. Whatever it is, John, you are an absolute zero. And I thank you for this content because it really did make me laugh, but not quite as much as this next one. This brings us to our next zero, which is Politico, just the entirety of Politico. Um, the entire dumpster fire of journalistic malpractice that it is, but especially the clown who wrote this article, his name is David Wertime, W-E-R-T-I-M-E. He writes the following article with the following headline. Not the world's number one Chinese social media piles on the U.S. The verdict is in. China has outperformed while the once respected American system has disastrously faltered. This is real. This is not the onion. This is actual blatant, probably ignorantly done, not even willfully done, Chinese propaganda from David Wertheim at Politico. This was written on May 4th, 2020. And uh, let me read some of it here because this is just hilarious. On March 29th, President Trump stood in the Rose Garden, offered a coronavirus forecast. If we have between 100,000 and 200,000 deaths, he told the reporter, we all together have done a very, very good job. Or just a one, one very. I'm sorry. I've got the Trump voice on my head. And he usually does the very, very. We all together have done a very good job. Believe me. <laughs> anyway, moving on with the article. The president meant it as a self-congratulation. He doesn't at a self-congratulation? Is he multiple people? Does he have a multiple personality disorder that we're unaware of? Because it sounded an awful lot like he was saying, We, as in me, the task force, and the American people have done a good job. Not I, Donald Trump, have done a good job. So there are two sentences back to back that contradict one another. That's just what you can expect at Politico. He continues, he'd been shown a projected American death toll as high as two point two million. But in China, the statement landed very differently. On Weibo the country's equivalent of Twitter, Trump's declaration sounded like an astonishing statement of defeat by China's major political, ge- geopolitical rival. The article continues on. Trump says reducing death toll to 100,000 people is not bad. Quickly became top trending hashtag, which is weird because that's not a hashtag. It's just a very long sentence. Commenters on Weibo called the Rose Garden appearance preparation for a funeral, labeled Trump a joker, And a blowhard and sarcastically predicted, I'm sure God will protect the United States. If a similar death toll had been reported in China, one popular comment speculated how many people here would be saying that we are a dying country. And noted bluntly, from here onward, the world order will never be the same. A coronavirus has spread outward, yada, yada, yada. Hold on, let me get to the good part here. Uh, so basically, what they're saying here, because I don't want to read this whole article, it's, it's just nonsense. Um, but they basically get to the point to where they're saying that because a bunch of people on Chinese Twitter, Weibo, are saying that the president did a bad job, that makes it true. So we're not even we're not even touting outright ch- Chinese propaganda from the government or anything along those lines, because there's no objective way in which that China should really have any criticism about the way that we've handled our situation over here, and the fact that Politico is touting what a good job they've done It implies—actually, doesn't imply—it shows that they are hook, line, and sinker buying the Chinese narrative that they don't have any new cases and that their death tolls are way lower than ours. And they're believing the numbers that are coming from a government that probably on this very website—bullshitico, that um, is—there's probably multiple articles written by the handful of actual journalists that they do occasionally employ stating all of the dishonesty that the Chinese government has perpetuated since this thing has began. But no— this guy, David Wertheim, buying everything that the Chinese government is selling him. Uh, I hope he's being compensated properly because, my God, what an absolute idiot. Later in the article, though, this is, you know, you got to go down like 10 paragraphs to ever actually get to the truth on these sorts of things. Chinese social media is a highly imperfect lens into widespread public sentiment, full of hot tempers, trolls, and the ever-present specter of censorship, particularly given the ruling Communist Party's power and proclivity to punish dissenting voices. It is emphatically not real life. American visitors to China generally describe encountering warmth or at least respect, even during times of high tension between the countries. So this guy basically wrote a whole article talking about how awesome China has done in handling the C-word and in, in doing so, his source was a bunch of people on a social media platform that is so heavily monitored by the Chinese government that essentially no dissenting voices are, are ever really out there. I mean, even if there was the ability, let's say, like Chinese government, that Weibo or whatever this is, was in any way, shape, or form comparable to Twitter, even in terms of the censorship. And even though we know that there is a certain degree of that on Twitter, but let's let's imagine for a second that Weibo is like a free speech platform, like Parler is, for instance, and on which you can follow me at Right Opinion Pod. By the way, um, even if that was true, a bunch of fucking idiots on Twitter is your source for how good China's doing with all this. A bunch of irrelevant. Uh, uneducated, uninformed, and for that matter, unvetted. We don't even know what these people are, but a bunch of clowns on Twitter is your source for that China is handling this better than the United States. That's it. That's what you came up with. No, like, data, no numbers. Like, no, a bunch of a bunch of fucking trolls on Weibo in China who are, by the way, being heavily monitored by the government would probably be thrown in jail if they were talking about how good of a job the United States is doing in comparison to the terrible and deceptive job that the Chinese government has been doing on this since November. Um, You know, that's hard evidence, clearly that that's it. That was the uh, the smoking gun that we all needed was the opinion of a bunch of anonymous Twitter trolls. On, again, a platform that is heavily censored by the communist Chinese or the Chinese Communist Party. That's that's a real thing. This guy actually wrote this down and thought that this was worth putting out to the world, much like Mr. Pavlovitz uh, or whatever the hell his name is. Uh, I guess he too felt the need to advertise what an absolute buffoon he is to the world. Um, not the world's number one, most certainly not, as that was the name of the article, and that's probably indicative. of... And definitely indicative of Mr. Wertime over at Politico. That brings us to our last zero for the week. And it is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I don't wanna give wanna give up really really wanna just jazz that entrance up there because my god the stupid. So this is the zero of all zeros. This is the final one for the week here. Obviously, this 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 particular young lady. She may be a hero amongst the left, but here on The Right Opinion, where we actually have not only not declining but inclining cognitive ability here, yes, we, unlike your presidential candidate who could barely tie a shoe, we here are aware of actually what's going on in the world, and we find stuff like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Instagram stories absolutely fucking hilarious. So her Instagram story the other day was like two, three days ago, and yes, I follow her on Instagram for obvious reasons. Um because it's, it's literally the only thing she's good for, and it's, you know, um, not for nothing, a few more bikini pics wouldn't kill, it, kill you, AOC, just throwing it out there, moving on, uh, in her IG story, she had three little slides, I don't know if you guys know how this works, because I barely know how it works, but on Instagram, there's like a little thing for like your story for the day, basically, and you click on it, and it's kind of like a little slideshow, somewhat akin to something you might see on Snapchat, or maybe even the Facebook app, um, and she was... She had like three little slides. The first two were about mood Arbery, who was likely murdered, um, I believe, down in Georgia. Uh, there, there's a big case. He's an African-American fellow who's jogging through a neighborhood. He was chased down and gunned down by a couple of white guys, one of which used to be a cop. Um, it's a terrible story, and that— in. I, I usually don't buy into the hype on a lot of these stories, but based on all the available evidence here, it feels like it, this guy was absolutely murdered and that the system grossly failed his family by not immediately prosecuting the people involved. Um, but at least at a bare minimum, putting them in front of a grand jury, making them explain exactly what they did, and then putting them in front of an actual jury and determining their guilt. But uh, it, you know, rest in peace to, to Ahmoud Arbery, and I hope I'm not botching that name there. But she was putting out that information, which is, you know obviously being done with a certain agenda from AOC, but it is a story that merits time. So good for her. She was putting that out there. That's the first two slides of the Instagram story. And then the third Instagram story is a picture of her hand holding a couple of pieces, like a couple of uh, makeup products. And she says, random question. But do you all put on concealer before foundation or foundation before concealer? And then underneath it says, ironically, working from home has me doing makeup more often because I'm on publicly recorded video interviews every day, so I have to teach myself these things again. Um, you know, asking the real important questions at this at this time. By the way, like on the, she's on the Instagram story. And it's like, hey, our first two slides are about like this really serious topic that definitely needs delving into. And then, oh, by the way, random makeup question. Really, this is this is marvelous um she by the way i've never applied foundation or concealer at any point in my life but i'm by the name of it it sounds like foundation would go first by virtue of the fact that it is foundation um and if not the whole makeup industry is a sham um which it probably is anyway i know nothing of it um but um it's you know foundation should probably be the first layer you know if you're building a house would you put the foundation on the second floor I don't know. Uh, maybe she would. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. But I just thought this was ridiculous. It's like, oh man. On one hand, you're actually doing something good for one, Something I can't really kill you for. And then you just go hard left turn into stupid makeup question. Why, by the way, do you need to look so good for all of these interviews? Are 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 you? Do you feel a, a certain pressure that's being applied upon you as a as a woman in 2020 that you need to feel? Uh, or at least look a certain way in order to be on television, who's applying that pressure? Is it you? Because if so, then, uh, you know, the evil male patriarchy has been getting blamed for these things for quite a while. I mean, personally, again, I think she's easy on the eyes, and I think that's pretty much the only thing that she's good for other than spewing lies. But at the end of the day, I mean, as an empowered, powerful, uh, supposed intellectual Hypothetical economist and representative of Congress, I mean, you would figure she doesn't necessarily need to doll up for these interviews because people should be taking her seriously for her intellect. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't hold that one together. Anyway, uh, that's it for the week. So we got the heroes. We got the zeros. Really, again, thank you out there to everybody who's on the front lines of this stuff, the medical workers, the truck drivers, grocery store owners and workers, pet store workers, anybody out there who's been struggling, who's on, lost their jobs, who's who's hunkering down and doing the best that they possibly can for the people around them. Like God bless all of you. Seriously, yeah, from, from from the bottom of my heart, really, I, I appreciate every one of you guys out there, and for those of you who are struggling, uh, I you know I I am all empathy on this on this one. I get it. I was unfortunately unemployed not too long ago for an extended period of time within the last couple of years. It sucked. It had absolutely nothing to do with the c word, and um, you know, the uncertainty that you're dealing with right now. I feel your pain. I was there. As a matter of fact, I lost the job and, and managed to find one right before it became a real problem for me. I'm lucky in that respect. Uh, I understand many of you are not. And, uh, you know, God God bless you. And uh, hopefully for those of you guys who do have money to spend right now, support those local businesses, man, me and uh, and and the lady purchased uh, some, some food from via DoorDash from the little pub around the corner from me that I love. And I I, I tried to kind of go to frequently anyway before all this. I try to go to them every so often now uh, just to try to keep them afloat. And if you can do any small part to do that in your own right, I'm, I'm no hero. Let's make, you know, I'm not trying to make myself out to be one here. I'm just trying to do the little bit that I can do. And, uh, and if we all do that, we can all be heroes just for one day. Anyway, so that's the end of that. Um, this is The Right Opinion right here on the rightopinion.podbean.com Check out iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud and uh, maybe not SoundCloud, Stitcher. I always fuck this up. Whatever. Just just type the right opinion in quotes and make sure it's the one that's black and white and red all over. Screw the Washington Times for stealing the name of my podcast. And uh, as always, the right opinion.podbean.com, hackerhameen.podbean.com, ratsaladreview.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, on Parler, on Instagram, and on Mines at Right opinion pod, and also feel free to email the show, especially you guys between the Flynn stuff. If there's certain aspects of the Spygate things you want me to cover, or you're interested in, or you want me to clarify, I I drop a lot of information on these podcasts, and I'm not trying to talk down anybody, but sometimes maybe I'm not doing it the best possible way. So if you got questions, hit me up on Twitter. DMs are always open as well if you don't want to ask publicly, or you can email me, the right opinion pod at gmail.com. And I'm happy to do like an email show. As a matter of fact, if you guys could send in a few questions, that'd be awesome. I'll do like a bonus episode where I sit down and I hammer them all out. Love to hear from you guys. And uh, that's just about it, I believe. Check out the merch store in the show notes. Check out all the stories that I drop in there. Uh, don't don't give John what's-his-nuts what's his, fuck, what's his nuts any clicks, though. Um, I read you the entire article, and I'm ashamed that I clicked on it. Not once, but twice Um, now so uh, he probably is up to a total of four views assuming his mom read it and that's all we have so I'm left with nothing more but to remind you that opinions are like assholes everybody's got one but this asshole has the right opinion right here on the right opinion dot com. I will talk to you guys next time Peace. Be the elephant in the room in the room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in the room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in the room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in the room full of elephants. Boom.